Flash Forward. I'm Rose and I'm your host. Flash Forward is a podcast about the future. Every week we explore a possible or not so possible future scenario and try to really think through what it would be like. Each episode we start with a little trip to the future before dialing it back to now and discussing that future with experts. Got it? Great. A quick note about today's episode. If you are listening with or near young kids, be aware that today's show discusses the future of sex and goes into some detail about sex toys, sex work, and other sexy time things. If your kiddos are ready for a calm, reasonable discussion of sex and the sex industry, carry on. If you're not there yet, that's cool, but maybe skip this one. That was my first content advisory ever. How exciting. Okay, with that out of the way, let's go to the year 2086. to find a moment to connect. We all spend so much time near one another, and yet can never seem to get truly close. Dates, dinners, movies, they all blow by in the wind, but can never quite scratch that deeper itch. Now, there's a way to feel true affection, true partnership, without the boredom of endless dates. Simply add, Hadley to your life, and you'll find peace, happiness, passion, and more. Find your closet space cramped. No room for that new cyborg lover you just brought home? Come on down to Margot's Discount Closet Solutions. We're the only place in town that offers custom cabinets to hold, charge, and hide your bedroom companions. Equipped with adapters and sockets galore, our closet solutions have all the room your frisky robot friend needs and can even hold its clothes and cleaning supplies. You won't see another custom cabinet deal like this. Our cabinets hold all major models. Whatever you've picked, tall, short, big, small, horned, or winged, we can make a custom cabinet for you. No questions asked. find that your desires are unconventional? You want more than your partners can give. Something stronger. Something bigger. Something more intense. It can be hard to ask, but it's easy to program. Let the Leopold step in and make your desires a reality. 
Okay, so in this future, we've invented robots for sex. Sex robots. This is a thing that some people are really excited about and that other people are really worried about. There's a whole organization called the Campaign Against Sex Robots, which you can probably guess thinks they're a terrible idea. Other people think these robots should be used to eradicate sex work or to help people with dangerous desires like rape fantasies or pedophilia. Some people think that we're going to be marrying robots by 2050. Other people are less optimistic about that. I think there's a really big disconnect between what we have achieved and what we have yet to achieve in order to arrive at a place where robots, sex robots are a reality. That's A.V. Flox. She's a journalist who covers the intersection of sex, law, and technology. And she says that for all the buzz about sex robots right now, we have a long way to go before we'll see anything remotely like an actual sex robot. You see, making a sex robot is really hard. Right now, the products out there are really just sex dolls that might have a couple of pre-programmed phrases in them or a little bit of eye tracking. There are some devices that you can connect to the internet to feel like you're having sex with someone who's in another room or another continent. But those aren't humanoid forms. Sex robots, full-on, walking, talking, sex-having robots, those are a huge technical challenge. They're going to require nanotechnology to replicate non-uniform skin, and they're going to require a sort of AI-complete natural language understanding to say nothing of realistic personality simulations. And I think this is a really important story because sex robots are not simply going to be sleeves or dildos. They're not going to be simple enough for a single genius to just put together the way that they might a haptic dildo or a chatbot. But even before we talk about realistic skin or convincing artificial intelligence or any of that, we first have to make them stand up. The things that do exist, like the dolls, they're not even, because of the stance, they're, they're, they were designed to have a stance that is most uh, effective for like intercourse, for when they're being penetrated. And so they have this kind of like frog-like stance where they like have their legs wide open and they can't even stand on their feet. They have hooks in the back of their heads and they have to be hooked in um, in order to have even like a standing-like posture. So there's some design issues here that they're going to, you know, that these makers are going to have to deal with pretty soon. All the unseen pieces of labor that women <laughs> are constantly, um, you know, doing in their heterosexual relationships, you know, one element of which is just being able to move themselves. <laughs> Who knew that that would be something they would miss about us? That's Shelley Ronan, a sociology PhD student at NYU who studies sex and sex objects. Now, those sex dolls that you can buy right now for about $7,000 weigh anywhere between 65 and 105 pounds, which is a lot of dead weight to have to move around. And if you've ever watched any videos online of robots walking and moving and mostly falling down, you know that our current state-of-the-art robotic motion is not exactly sexy. Now, once they can stand and move around, they then have to look and feel and act convincing. All of this is to say that making sex robots is going to be really hard. And it's going to require lots of people, engineers, roboticists, sex toy experts, computer scientists. Which means licensing and it means investment capital. And Flock says that that is the big challenge. The adage that sex sells is true unless you're trying to actually sell sex. You see, in the United States at least, companies working in these so-called adult industries often have a really hard time finding investors, getting loans, convincing credit card companies to carry them, all the things that a business needs to actually be a business. 
Tech platforms like the Apple App Store and Google Play won't approve any kind of adult content, so apps for your sex robot are out. Search engines don't show adult content unless you specifically ask for it, and even then some of it is filtered out. This is all to say that it's going to be really hard to get the money and backing required to make a sex robot anytime soon. I think if people did a little less daydreaming about sex robots and a little more lobbying for the right of innovators to access loans, payment processors, and funding, I'd be a little more optimistic about it, but I'm really not holding my breath. But this is a podcast about the future, and eventually we will probably get sex robots. We just can't seem to help ourselves. Do you think that this is inevitable? Um, yeah. Yeah, on some level. That's Madeline Ashby, a science fiction author and futurist. And I say that not because, like, I think that people are perverts. I think we're, although I do think that we are all perverts. It's inevitable because I think humanoid robots are inevitable. Um, I think that the fascination with creating life and creating something in our own image is sort of baked in at the biblical level and baked in at the, even at, at the level of fairy tale you know, um, the creation of Pinocchio or the, or the creation of other life, or even um, in modern fairy tale terms, something like um, the Velveteen Rabbit, right? If you love something enough, it becomes real. She says that to get around some of the issues of authenticity and realism, the first sex robots might not look particularly human. I think we are more likely to see a cartoony look first. Like, I think that that's how you skirt the Uncanny Valley problem is to make like a more cartoony or anime-like or video game-like um, face and body and appearance. Like red eyes and blue hair. Or, right, like a Sailor like, Moon kind of thing. Like, yeah, like a, yeah, uh, not only because uh, Japan and other places is a huge market for it, but um, but because I think it's like weirdly easier to say, I want to sleep with this thing that couldn't possibly exist. Because then it's not a replacement for anything or anyone. It's not a replacement for a person. Uh, or it's it's not a substitute for a relationship that you might have. It's very definitely the achievement of a fantasy. Right now, the dolls that you can buy are highly customizable. You can choose everything from what kind of pubic hair you want to what kind of freckles you like to things like adding cat ears or having interchangeable genitalia. Actually, it, I asked Real Doll um, Abyss Creations like how often that is, and they said a lot more than you would imagine. Um, of the you know a lot more of the orders actually request that the that the body have a penis but also have breasts and a female face. So I think there is potential for something subversive and kind of interesting there. Now, since this show is all about overthinking the future, I want to talk a little bit about the actual logistics of having a sex robot in your house, like. Where do you store it? It's not just the robot. It's also making a space in your life and your home for this robot. And how do you keep it clean? Sex toys have their own cleaning protocols that a lot of people don't follow. And when you scale that up to a human-sized device, it sounds like a lot of work to keep it from getting kind of gross. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. And this is something that you run into a lot when you talk to people that work in the adult novelty industry, which is the euphemism for sex toys. There seems to be a disconnect between the sex toy... And the ownership of the sex toy and the caring and maintenance of a sex toy and high school level chemistry. You know, people just don't really think about this. They've got a bunch of vibrators that they just throw in a box or in a drawer. And 
you know, they're mostly all silicone or some variation, and they're confused when, you know, one of them sort of melts or gets discolored. It's like, what's going on? Why is this breaking? And it's like, well, you know, you, you can't use silicone lube on a silicone toy. You can't just let them all rub up against each other because, you know, chemistry works in not very mysterious ways. And please bag your toys. Please use the correct lube. But, but we don't really seem to understand this. Um, so when you start actually investing in a very, very large purchase, like a sex robot that is going to have very complex skin. Oh, I can only imagine just what a pain in the ass it would be to have a sex doll in cyber skin that you have to wash and then after you're done you have to dust slightly with with powders so that it's not sticky. But even if you take great care of your robot, it could still break. And when it does, what do you do? I mean, sex is a very vigorous activity. Um, most likely, uh, you know, if somebody is is using a doll, they probably, you know, will want to enact all sorts of fantasies that may involve damage. Today, there are doll doctors that go around and help fix sex dolls that have broken. But if sex robots become more common, companies will have to figure out how to handle returns and fixes. Or maybe people will be able to do small repairs at home. I think... Uh, 3D printing technology will probably dovetail kind of nicely with um, the sex robot manufacturing. And so presumably, like any personalization that you want, you'll just be able to go to your 3D printer in your living room and like print her out a new nipple or, you know, print her out whatever, like a Marilyn Monroe mole, because you want that now. These robots will also have to be tested pretty rigorously to make sure they don't malfunction during use, because you're kind of vulnerable during sex. You don't want unsafe at any speed in your bedroom. And they'll also probably come with some kind of manual that outlines what you are and are not allowed to do with the robot without voiding the warranty. Like it's as sexy as an Ikea manual. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you have to like, just, like I'm imagining the poor graphic designer who has to like put this together and, and put it together in multiple languages or in I, the Ikea style where there's, like, very little language and just diagrams. Like, the on, like the, imagine, like, unfolding this manual or more likely, like, looking at it on your phone and realizing that, A, no, nothing is written down, and B, like, you have to figure this out only from diagrams. <laughs> Like, like, not allowed. These positions are in red, but these positions are in green, so I think that means it's okay unless I happen to be colorblind, in which case I'm screwed. If you do try to do something with the robot that it can't do, maybe it starts beeping, or maybe it tells you to stop, or maybe it gives you a little shock. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or why don't we try something else, or, you know, what have you. Who is the voiceover person, too, who has to read all these things out? Oh, and along with making the robots convincing and sexy and clean and safe, they also need to be secure. You don't want your sex robot getting hacked so someone else can watch you do things or, even worse, do things to you that you don't want. So when I was reading about this, one of the first things I thought about was hacking. That that would be an incredible plot for a thriller where, you know, a person with their sex doll is brutally murdered via a hacker. <laughs> it's also possible that instead of a person having their own sex robot with a closet to put it in and a drawer full of cleaning supplies and a 3D printer to replace parts and a roboticist on call for when it really breaks, 
people might just rent time instead. So supposedly you can already buy time with them in some red light districts. Um, I've heard in Amsterdam and perhaps also in Tokyo. Which also helps get around the issue of liability. Say, for example, you and your wife or you and your, your partner go to one of these places and something happens and someone gets injured. Who then is liable? If you, say, for example, bought a sex robot and then that happened... Is your girlfriend going to sue you because you bought the sex robot? Or can you sue the owner of the, of the robot brothel, essentially, for not keeping up on their uh, repair plan? And a lot of people would much rather sue <laughs> the, uh, the owner of the brothel than take the liability on themselves. These are kind of silly logistics questions, but I think they're interesting. But there are some deeper, harder ethical questions to grapple with, too, which don't just apply to sex robots. They apply to robots more generally. How do we feel about owning and using a thing that looks and acts like a human? It's unlikely, I think, by the time we get to the sex robot commodity, if we ever get there, um, it's unlikely that they will be just for sex. It's more likely that they will actually be a multi-purpose device, you know, that they'll take care of your children, that they'll like take care of your elderly, that they'll cook your dinner, that they'll you know, drive you around, whether you have a self-driving car, so who knows, maybe you'll be having sex with your car, but like, you know, you'll, <laughs> it's more likely that this will be a full service uh, device. And that, that's the other, that's the deeper actual ethical question is, can you love something that you own? We're going to have to think very, very hard about what that says about us and whether we want and we accept fantasy to play out that way with a very, very human-like object made for our own personal pleasure. Those are really hard questions that I don't think anyone has the answers to yet. But thankfully, we're going to have a lot of time to figure them out. I think sometimes we imagine that technological advances kind of pop out of nowhere and just like a commodity just like plops down next to us and is like, hello, you haven't seen any element of me before. And now I'm like whole hog this new thing. And actually technological progress is much more incremental, much slower. We have these teledildonic devices that are just coming out now that like network through the internet that allow you to have sex with somebody over distance. Most likely by the time any kind of sex robot, if it ever comes, by the time it comes to us, we will be so used to having sex with our computers. I mean, we'll be having sex with our partners over the computer, but by that point, we'll probably be so used to that, that the idea of switching over to something that looks more like a partner is probably not going to be so huge of a transition. Um, so I think it's less likely that there'll be a moral panic than if, you know, like aliens land from outer space and are like, here's a sex robot. Like, and we're all like, oh, my God, I, all of our fears have come true. Um, then again, on this show, we can never rule out aliens. For more on sex robots and how they are or are not coming soon, head to boingboing.com, where I'll post more links. I promise they will all be safe for work. If you want to read more about how far away we are from sex robots, you can go to BBC Future and read a piece that I wrote for them there about the barriers between you and your sexy Android companion. And if you want full show notes, including links to all the music we used and additional readings, head to flashforwardpod.com. 
Flash Forward is produced by me, Rose Eveleth, and is part of the Boing Boing podcast family. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music is by Broke for Free. The music for our various sex robot commercials was by Alaclair, Strongsuit, and Boxcat. The voice for the Hadley commercial was Jaya Saxena, whose writing you can find at jayasaxena.com. The voice for Margot's Discount Closet Solutions was Mike Rugnetta, who has a podcast called Reasonably Sound that you should absolutely listen to. And the voice convincing you to buy a Leopold was Brent Rose, who is currently driving around America in this incredible high-tech van. You can follow his adventures at connectedstates.com and on Instagram, where he's at Brent Danger Rose. If you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash roseeveleth, like my name. If you do donate, you'll get some cool goodies like a special fan newsletter, full transcripts of the show, and even your voice in the future. If you can't donate, that's fine. You can go to iTunes and leave a nice review, or just tell your friends about the show, and generally spread the word. That really does help. If you want to suggest a future we should take on, send us a note on Twitter, Facebook, or by email at info at flashforwardpod.com. We love hearing your ideas, so send them on over. Oh, and one other thing. Every episode, I hide a few little references for you to find. If you think you've caught one, send me an email at rose at flashforwardpod.com. If you're right, I will send you something cool. That's all for this future. Come back next week for a new one. <laughs>